welcome to High Tide, Low Tide, the podcast where we talk about all things mental health and where we share our stories with the knowledge that it could just be the lifeline of hope for someone who is hurting and afraid that they're the only one. I'm your host, Lisa Scanlon, and I am so glad that you're here with me today. Just a little reminder here, guys, that we are discussing mental health in this episode, so we may touch on things like suicide or self-harm, which may be a trigger for you. As always, I'll pop resources in the show notes or know that you can call Lifeline 24-7 on 13 11 14. Hey, guys, and welcome back to another episode of High Tide, Low Tide. Um, Today's episode is going to be just me. So you're going to have only my voice to listen to for the next, I don't know, 30 to 45 minutes. So uh, buckle up. (laughs) It's all me today. To be really honest, I I dropped the ball a little bit the last couple of weeks. Um, My schedule has been hectic and I'm sure, you know, I hate saying, oh, I'm, I'm just so busy because realistically, everybody is busy. And I'm not special and I'm no different to anybody else. But, you know, when I like I work a, a regular, you know, 40 hour a week job and I train and I do things for breakthrough and I also do this podcast. And sometimes it is a little bit tricky to manage my time. And some weeks I do it really well and some weeks I don't do it quite as well as the others. And you know, like any, I guess, small business or any outside passions, it's, it's a lot about learning how to juggle time. And, you know, when I started out the podcast, I was like, I'm always going to make sure I've got, you know, five or six episodes, like, quote, unquote, in the in the bank, so that I'm not chasing my tail. And I tell you what, it has been a couple of months of chasing my tail. And, you know, I am certainly not complaining and it is an absolute labor of love. And just this week, I just didn't quite manage to get a guest locked in um, in order to be able to bring you somebody's story. So instead, we're going to spend the next, you know, X amount of time just having a chat. So what my idea was, was to use that new NGL Um, like the anonymous questions link that you might have seen floating around on Instagram stories. So it allows people to um, send you a question anonymously. So I thought it might be kind of cool to allow people the ability to ask me questions about my life or about the podcast or about my mental health from without having to tell me who's asked the question. So I guess it gives people the space to um, ask the questions that they really want to ask without you know, worrying about the fact that I know that they've asked it. And I, you know, I just believe that still in this mental health space, people are a little bit worried about what others might think or they might not want to ask the question because they're worried, um, I don't know, what, what I might think, which is ridiculous because I don't, don't judge people in that way at all. But yeah, so I put that up yesterday and I posted it on both of my accounts and I reposted it again today. And I was worried that I was not going to have any questions to talk through. And um, actually there was quite a few. And I think there's some really great great questions in there as well. I guess it will also give you a chance to learn a little bit more about me 
especially if you know you're new to the podcast or you don't know me in person um so yeah I think it's going to be kind of cool and then next week I promise we'll be back to regular programming and you won't have to listen to my voice the entire episode so if anyone has used this app before, I have to say I was a little bit skeptical. I have used it once before and some of the questions that came through were quite generic or, you know, written in a way that I thought I think this is just the app generating a question. And a couple have come through like this um, this time around as well. All people are just asking these questions, but, you know, I got one that said like, W-Y-D, as in like, what are you doing? And I just don't think anyone would have written that to me. Um, I could be wrong, but yeah, there was one like that. And I got a couple of other questions like, are you a backseat driver? And um, I don't know if this is a, an app question or someone's asked this question. And I would say I'm not really a backseat driver, but I like need to be in the passenger seat if I'm not driving. And nine times out of 10, I would just prefer to drive. And I think this, I think this comes from if I'm in control of something, then it doesn't cause me anxiety. So if, if I can control it, then, you know, I'm not worried about is the driver aware that, you know, the car in front has started to slow down. So being in the car sometimes makes me a little bit anxious and I think this is because I, when I lived in Indonesia, I was there for five, six years. And where I lived, there was no cars. They, you know, Gili, I was living in Gili Chuangan, for anyone who doesn't know, this very small island off of Lombok, about an hour and a half from Bali. And it is like 7K by 3K and you get around on a bicycle. There's no motorbikes. There's no cars. There is some horse carts. But yeah, there's just no cars. So I think when I came back from Indonesia, it was a bit of a like transition period, getting used to driving everywhere again. And um, people drive like absolute idiots. And I just think people are very complacent on the roads. Now my my job requires me to essentially be on the road quite frequently. Um, I'm wake work as a sales rep, so I'm driving from venue to venue throughout the day. So uh, that's definitely helped with my anxiety. And I don't think I'm a backseat driver, but I don't know. That's because I'm always driving. <laughs> There's a couple of other um, like sort of similar level questions, like what time do you usually go to bed? I am usually in bed, I think, by like 8, 30, 9 o'clock at the moment, which is really nana-ish of me. Like especially during winter, I am just like, I just don't cope with the cold weather at all. And it's cold and it's dark early. And yeah, I probably get into bed around 8, 39. And then I would watch something on my laptop maybe for an hour or so and then sort of head off to sleep. I get up quite early. My first alarm goes off most mornings at about quarter to five and I train before I go to work. So three days a week I'm with my personal trainer, um, Jamie, who has his own fitness studio called Anatomy Fitness. And I also go to Strong at Henley Beach a couple of mornings a week as well. I just, I think I just function really well in the mornings and like I'm very productive in the mornings. And then as the day kind of goes along, I start to lose, 
my motivation. So like come to like 3 p.m. and I'm like no help to anyone really. I mean, I do my job, <laughs> but like I, if I've got to like focus on a project or something like that, it's the mornings that work for me. I was also asked if I have Scandinavian bloodlines and this is a interesting question. I can tell you that if you look at my mum's side of the family, so my mum is one of six and like all of her siblings have, I believe, like minimum three children, if not four. And if you were to put us all like in a lineup, like almost all of us have blonde hair and blue eyes. Like it's it's very, we do look very Scandinavian. And mum is super into looking into the, the like our family tree. Like, you know, that um, app, not an app, it's like a website and, and you send off, I don't know, I guess you send off DNA and it comes back. But she's like super into tracing that. And I believe that we do have Scandinavian bloodline on her side. And I really should have looked this up before I started recording but yeah, I, I believe so. So that answers that question. <laughs> Someone asked me what my favorite drink was. And I think this is really hard to answer because it really depends on the mood. Like at the moment, I'm really enjoying a Negroni. If I'm out like socializing, I'll start my night off with a Negroni. Or I'm really into bubbles at the moment. I just feel like they're really festive and it's like I feel like I'm doing a lot of celebrating so I just love to treat myself to a nice glass of bubbles but I really like wine and I'm super like into um, a particular wine brand here in SA called Forage Supply Co. The guys that own it are awesome and their wines are really really good but I also enjoy a Milo like, you know, just some nice cold milk and some, and some heavy, heavy spoonage of Milo on the top. Always Milo on the top, not milk first. Milk, no, sorry, milk first, Milo second, always. And I don't stir it in either. I feel like if you drink Milo, you have a very specific way of drinking it. Like everybody's going to drink it differently. And I feel like I'm a 10-year-old talking about how you drink your Milo right now, but... It's good. I always have a tin of Milo in my house. Cool. So the next question that I or comment that was made said, you mentioned your brother in the last podcast. So I mentioned that I stole one of my brother's cigarettes in my last podcast. Are you close? And has he been supportive of your podcast? So I actually have a, an older brother. His name is Daniel. And he is five years older than I am. And I have a younger sister whose name is Kelly and she is three years younger than I am. So I'm the middle child, like classic middle child syndrome for sure. In terms of are we close, I would say that like we're not not close, but we're not like super close. Like I think family dynamics are really interesting. I think when you are a child, you believe that everybody's like everybody has this family like you see on the television shows that we watched when we were growing up in the 90s and it's you know mum dad and three kids and everybody is best friends and everybody loves each other and it's a perfect little family and you know they you know overcome these small obstacles together and they become closer because of it and I think as we get older we realize that actually most families are not like this and if you have a family like that you are very lucky and I think very unique. And so I like I guess I've just like I've gotten used to 
the fact that, you know, well, in our family, I think I, I think everybody's really close to mum. Like I'm definitely very close to mum, but everyone is kind of like a little bit at arm's length with everybody else. And I don't mean that in a in a bad way at all. That's just how it is. But I think like family is super important and I am so like lucky to have my family. But I think that for me also like family does not need to be blood related. So I think that relationships are really important, um, like friendships are really important. And I just believe that people who aren't technically your family can also be your family. So there's plenty of people that I would say are family to me that are not blood related. And to answer the fact, has he been supportive? Um, I, I, I don't know if he's actually listened to it yet. I will have to ask him. But yeah, he's always been supportive of sort of anything I've done before. And you know, he's always there to answer questions, especially if they are tech related. My brother is super, super smart. And yeah, so I, yeah, he's definitely been there for me in that aspect as well. What is the weirdest thing that you've ever eaten? This was like, like I had to really rack my brain for this because I was like, well, why would I eat something that's weird? Like <laughs> food is supposed to be enjoyable. You should be eating good stuff. Um, I think probably the weirdest thing that I've ever eaten was actually not that long ago, probably, I don't know, maybe six months or so ago, I went to like this Mexican-y type restaurant with a couple of friends and they had these like it was like a small soft taco type thing, but it had those, you know, those crispy, I don't know if they're like deep fried or something, crickets. So it was like you ordered this thing and it had these like crispy crickets on it. And it also came with a shot of tequila. So I tried, like, I think we all had, the three of us had one of those um, because it's kind of like, you know, when in Rome. And I think I did it more for the tequila than the crickets. But I think that is probably the weirdest thing that I've ever eaten. When I was in Sweden a few years ago um, with my eggs, we had, what did we have? We had moose, but I guess that's not really, it's not really weird. Like, especially if you're, if, I mean, I just said I had Scandinavian background, so <laughs> certainly isn't that weird. Or, and actually it was quite tasty. Yeah, I'm going to go with the crickets being the weirdest thing that I have ever eaten. So there were a couple of like diving related questions in here as well, which I was super excited about because obviously I haven't really spoken that much on the podcast about my history with diving. So the first question was, did you find diving helped your mental well-being? And the answer to that question is absolutely. So I started diving, the first time I did a dive was in 2011 when I was on a trip in Egypt and I just did what's called a DSD or a discover scuba dive where you just do like some very basic theory. The instructor takes you in the pool to do some like four skills, like clearing your mask and your regulator. And then you get taken into the ocean to a maximum depth of 12 meters. So I did that and I absolutely loved it. So, you know, a little while later, I'd come back to Australia and I had decided that I wanted to do my paddy open water course. And I ended up actually doing that in Gili Truangan, where I ended up living. And so it's like a three day course. I went over to do that and it just really clicked for me. 
But I would always describe diving for me at the start as it was like a a type of meditation. Because once you go under the surface of the ocean, once you sink under the ocean, everything from above the ocean fades away. All the stress, all the worries, everything, you leave it dry. You leave it up there. And then the only sound that you can hear is the sound of your breath. And that's really quite relaxing. And all you're doing is focusing exactly on what is in front of you. You You're looking over the reef and you're seeing the corals and then you spot a turtle or you see some Nemo's and you're just really in the moment. And like, you know, you're not like in the back of your mind thinking, oh, I've got to get this and this from the shops or anything like that. You're just really, really present. And so it was really, really relaxing and yeah, just an amazing experience to have. And when I go fun diving now, I also feel that way. But what I did was I turned something that was relaxing into a job where I was then responsible for like keeping people alive underwater. So I kind of lost that relaxing aspect of diving Um, when I turned it into a career. But in saying that, though, what it afforded me to do and how it afforded me to live my life definitely helped my mental well-being. Not only that, but I was absolutely surrounded by incredible people all the time, and that just really was really, really nice. The next question kind of goes on from that, and it asks, did you find your life in Indonesia afforded you a better mental state or well-being balance than being back home and why? And actually somebody asked me this question a few weeks ago and I cannot for the life of me remember who it was and maybe it's the same person who asked it anonymously on here. But I would definitely say that my mental health was better in Indonesia and living on the small island and working as a dive instructor in in many ways, definitely. I think as a, if I'm looking at it as a like an overall sort of general, yes, my mental health was better there. Doesn't mean that like things are awful here by any means, but I think what it comes down to is that I was doing a job that I loved for the most part. I mean, any job, there are things that, you know, drive you mad, but I really did enjoy the job. I was working in a team of people that were amazing. The people that I met living and working over there, like are just amazing and they absolutely make that life even better. I was in, I was outside most of my day, like 80% of my day was spent outside when I lived over there, as opposed to like here, I would say, maybe like 40% of my day is spent outside here. So, you know, the fresh air, the vitamin D, just the the being out in nature is very different here to there and very skewed differently. I was, you know, meeting new people every day and new people who were on vacation. So, you know, they're in good spirits. They want to have a chat. They're very laid back. I could recommend all the good restaurants to go to and all the good things to do. And 
yeah, it was just, it was really fulfilling in that connection piece. And yeah, I was in the ocean, on the water, in the ocean every day. And that, yeah, that definitely made me very happy. In saying that, like, you know, in other aspects, you know, financially, I was definitely not well off over there. In, like I'm much more financially he- healthy here in Australia than I was over there. I did the job over there because I loved it, not because I was trying to be rich. <laughs> in my experience, it is hard to, it was hard for me to get ahead living and working over there and get ahead in like funny rabbit ears. Like, I guess it depends what is important. And for a long time, you know, a financial gain was really not important to me. But yeah, I think it's hard because it's it's hard to weigh everything up because I, I do believe I was definitely much happier. Oh, but that makes me sound like I'm saying I'm sad here. I was happier in a different way. Um, I find like here, even, you know, two and a half years on, I still feel like I don't really fit in here. I'm in a very different sort of life stage to a lot of the people around me, which is also very fine. But, you know, I'm not surrounded by like the same community of people who love and live and breathe everything the same way that I do. So that has been um, a little bit like hard if I'm being honest and making friends as an adult can be tricky at times. So yeah, I think like here I'm, I'm grateful for a lot of things though. And you know, I'm grateful for the help that I can get here. You know, I couldn't see a psychologist living over on the island. But yeah, to answer the question, my mental state was definitely better back on the island. (laughs) The next question is, how do I keep my mental health in check? And do I like my own company? So there's lots and lots of ways that I keep my mental health in check. There is an episode um, with a list of like 10 different things that I do to look after myself. So I think self-awareness is the biggest one for me. Working on how well I know myself helps me to see when I'm slipping. What else do I do? A lot of things like, you know, healthy eating, looking after my body. I need to be outside. I need vitamin D. I need to see my psychologist. Um, all of those types of things and like there's loads more but yeah self-awareness is such a big one because if you don't know yourself well enough how do you know when you're slipping so I guess trying to work on that could definitely help and do I like my own company I really do I think I have learned over the years to become quite independent and I think, unfortunately, that has triggered from not being able to rely on pivotal people or you know, being shown that I can't necessarily rely on people sometimes. And so I guess in a way it's kind of a good thing because I've learned to very heavily rely on myself, but that also makes it hard for me to delegate or trust that I can, you know, hand somebody else a task and think that they're actually going to go through with it. So I, you know, have absolutely no issues on in going out and doing things on my own or going on a holiday on my own or going on a trip on my own. I'm not going to miss out because I don't have somebody else to do that with. 
and I will go for coffee on my own. I'll often go down to the Palais at Semaphore um, after work and, you know, do some things on my laptop and sit there and have a drink or, you know, I'll go out for food on my own. I don't really care. Like, you know, often people have this idea of, oh, you know, other people are going to look at me and I'm on my own and what are they going to think? I literally couldn't give a fuck what anyone else thinks. If I'm sitting there having something to eat or a drink or reading a book or whatever on my own, like I'm cool with that. And I do like my own company. I need to have a certain amount of time on my own in order to recharge. Um, but in saying that, if I don't, if I have spend too much time on my own and I don't see people, then that is also not very good for my mental health either. So for me, it's a really like fine line of trying to spend enough time that I'm recharged on my own, but not so much time that I'm like sad and lonely and like, oh my God. (laughs) There's a couple of questions in here about, you know, Indonesia seeming like my happy place and, you know, do I see myself moving back to Indonesia and things like that? And Absolutely, Indonesia is my happy place. Not so much Bali, but, you know, where I was living in technically as part of Lombok, it's very, very much my happy place. And for now, the answer to that question of do I see myself going back for good, the answer to that right now is no. When I left because of COVID, I thought I was leaving for three months and then I was going to be going back. So when I came back here, I never thought I would be staying. But the path that has been laid in front of me or the path that I've paved for myself now in regards to mental health and what I'm doing with this podcast, I just feel like it really needs to be followed. And I feel like I wouldn't have chosen to leave Indonesia on my own, but I was probably stunting myself and stunting my own growth. So the fact that I wasn't given a choice and that choice was made for me is probably a little bit of a blessing in disguise. So I'm really happy with how things are going here and what I've been able to do. But, you know, I would love to have more freedom to be able to go back and forward between my two homes more often. And I think I've, you know, I've always said I'd like to have my own little like cafe or my own business or a little homestay or something like that over there. And that's something that I'm starting to now take steps towards. Very, very, very baby steps, tiny, tiny steps, but steps all the same on this next trip back. So that's very exciting and, you know, if and when something comes from that, I'll be sure to share it. Um, but for now, I'll keep that in my back pocket. And if you know, you already know. But, yeah, very exciting um, moving forward. I go back in October, f- uh, end of October for three weeks. So I really cannot wait for that. Uh, there was another question here from a recreational diver who's keen to get over to Indonesia in the next 12 months for a diving trip and they're not sure where to go or where to base themselves. I guess it really depends on your experience level and what you're wanting to do, what you like on a dive. I definitely recommend going over to the Gillies. Uh, The diving there is super easy, warm water, good visibility, bit of drift diving, which is always fun and a good array of things to see. But if you're going to Indonesia and you've got the money, I highly recommend going to 
either Raja Ampat or Komodo or even over to Alor. These three places are all still off my bucket list to tick off because even though I lived in Indonesia for so long, I was so freaking poor all the time that I still haven't been to any of those places, which is absolutely tragic. And I feel like if Darius listens to this episode, he's just going to be like laughing at me um, for the fact that I still haven't been over there. So definitely recommend all of those places. Well, even I've had friends go over to Sumbawa recently because there's whale sharks there and whale sharks are so cool. So you could also go there. I've done a little bit of diving around Bali, but meh. Yeah, just depends what you like. So I guess getting a little bit away from the questions around diving in Indonesia and a little bit more towards um, mental health and the podcast, the next question was, since starting your podcast... Do you feel your own mental health has improved or declined? Does hearing others' stories put a strain on you? This is actually a really good question. So bravo, whoever answered uh, asked that question. So since starting the podcast, I think I would say my mental health uh, has not really done necessarily either. I think it's my... It's probably like plateaued. I'm, I'm in a fairly good place at the moment. But I think, I think if anything, it's probably improved a little because I have this really big passion and I have this drive and I want this podcast to succeed. So having something to focus on and having that goal in mind is a really good way to keep myself or yourself on track. So I don't know. And I'm a sucker for being busy. Like I love to be busy. And so I will keep myself really busy and then I don't have time to sit around and be sad, I guess, <laughs> which is definitely not necessarily like I am not recommending that necessarily. That is just a coping mechanism for me sometimes. So, you know, obviously I don't want everyone to be like, oh, Lisa said you should be busy and then you won't be sad. That is not how it works. And I am not giving that kind of advice. I'm just saying that, yeah, for me, keeping myself busy does help. But I would say, yeah, I'm definitely feeling more fulfilled and helping other people is like proven to improve your mental health. And I really do feel as though I'm helping people and the people that I have been blessed to meet in this journey so far, my wonderful guests have been absolutely amazing. Like I feel really emotional now I'm talking about it, but I can't believe how lucky I am that people are willing to come on and share their stories with me and how much I've been able to learn from what they've told me and how much I have been able to grow in this process. Oh, geez. It's a Sunday evening and I'm getting emotional. Jesus, could I be more cliche? But honestly, I... Yeah, I'm very, very lucky. So does hearing others' stories put a strain on you? That is a really good question because in order to allow somebody the space to come in, to bear everything, and for most of my guests, it's been the first time that they've really shared their story in full. So... In order to do that, I have got to really hold space and hold energy for that person. 
and do that like fully with love and really be present and really be there in the moment for that person. And so it certainly, it does not put a strain on me at all. And I get so much out of these, like the recording of these podcasts, but I've learned that after I've done a recording, I need a bit of downtime. So and I explain this to my guests when they come on. So when we finish recording, it's definitely a high. Like we've like we've rode this roller coaster up to the top and we're feeling, you know, we've got some adrenaline and we're feeling really good. We've just recorded and now we're like having a hug and oh my gosh, thank you so much. But what happens to that high is that over the next few hours or even over the next 24 hours, that's going to start to come back down and guests can definitely have a bit of a lull after that. So I pre-warn them about that. But for me, I don't have, I don't have like a big like lull or anything like that, but I just need, you know, even if it's an hour after we've finished recording, I'll like have a sit down on the couch and I'll watch something on TV or I'll do something to just recharge a little bit just to take care of myself because I want to, you know, I want to be able to show up and and give my wonderful guests every part of me and all of that, I guess, support to tell their story. But I then afterwards just need to be, I guess, a little bit mindful of myself. So it definitely doesn't put a strain on me. I just have to manage my energy input and output around the time of recording. Okay, the next one, I was like hesitant to read this out at first because it's actually such a kind message that someone has written to me. So I didn't want to come across as being full of myself, but I'm going to read it out anyway because I think it's a nice little, I guess, testament to what's going on in the podcast. So it reads, just wanted to say I'm so proud of you for what you're doing. Being vulnerable and sharing your story has definitely helped inform me and I'm so thankful. If you could give one piece of advice for people supporting others through their mental health journey, what would it be? I guess for me, the thing that I would, the one piece of advice I'd have if you're supporting somebody else through their mental health journey is to know that you don't have to fix it. You just have to be there to help support the other person through it. You can't fix it. It is impossible for you to fix it. So don't, you know, put that pressure on yourself to have to fix it. And this sort of, a lot of this sort of circles back to the, like what the messaging with are you okay day is as well about you don't have, you're not the professional but you can just be there for your friend or your loved one and help them, guide them the right way, guide them towards help and just listen, but not listen, but really, really like actual listen. Don't listen with the intent to fix. Just listen so that person can feel heard because for many of us, we don't feel heard. And for many of us, it, if we have gotten to a point where we are willing to share and we are willing to open up to somebody about how we feel, we don't want you to fix it. We just want you to listen to us. Like it's taken a lot for us to get to that point. So just know you don't have to fix it. 
I think I would also say to people who are supporting someone going through something to make sure that you take care of yourself. It's very easy to, I guess, take on a lot of the energy of someone who's going through something. So just make sure that you do take time for yourself and um, just monitor. Yeah, I guess, you know, we don't want... We don't want you to end up feeling as bad as we do. So make sure you take care of yourself. And thank you very much to whoever that was that wrote that. It was very, very kind of you and I'm very appreciative. And it's messages like this that let me know that I'm helping people and that people are getting something out of the podcast and that it's all worth it. Okay, so the next question is a bit of an interesting one. So it says, So I struggle with my mental health and I'm proactively managing it and learning and have regular sessions with a psychologist. But I feel like my partner isn't coming along on this journey with me and instead complains about how my mental health struggle is impacting our life. Any tips? Now, I sat on this question for a while and there's like so many different like voices in my head that want to say different things. I don't know any further information about the relationship or anything or what one person's behavior or the other person's is other than what is in this question. But like my initial like reaction is that if somebody, if your partner is not willing to do any work and what they're doing is complaining and telling you that your mental health struggle is impacting your life together, I want to be like, bye, like, Honestly, your partner is supposed to be the person who's there to support you and love you and nurture you and help you along the way. So if this person is like turning around and being like, your mental health is ruining our lives. The fact that you're depressed is making my life too hard. I think you need to take a step back and maybe just have a look at whether or not this person is the right person for you. Again, in saying this, I don't know if you've been with them for six months, two weeks, a year, 20 years. I have no idea. And, you know, I'm also conflicted because I always want to lead with kindness. So I'm like, oh, but what has that person been through that's making them react like this? So I feel like what I have to offer is not very helpful at all. I guess you have to look at your investment into this relationship and decide whether being with someone who's not very supportive of you and your mental health is worth staying with. I just feel like no one should complain about somebody else's mental health to them. Like that isn't leading with kindness. So I don't know. I feel like maybe this is like a little bit not like of me to say, but I want to be like, tell them to get lost. Honestly, I don't have time for that. Life is too short. If someone's making you feel like shit, tell them to leave. Boom. (laughs) That's quite out of character for me. I don't know. I just think that's not good enough. And you're doing the work. Like you're trying, you are learning and you are growing and you deserve better than that. And that's my final word on that. Okay, so I was about to wrap up the episode and then I just got one more notification from this um, anonymous link and I know exactly who has sent me this this um, this question, which says, can you send me feet pics and also come diving? So no, Matt Potter, I cannot send you feet pics. <laughs> and I cannot come diving until the water gets warmer because... Adelaide water is like an icebox and I sound like a princess, but I'm just 
too cold all the time. And that's why I just need to get back to Indonesia to get back in the waters there. And lol, because he's going to listen to this episode and hear that as well. (laughs) And thanks for listening to the episodes, Matt. Congrats. Okay, well, that wraps. With the the mention of feet pics, that wraps up um, this solo episode with me. I feel like I may have rambled a lot. Um, I hope that I didn't, um, but we will see when the edit comes back. I hope that you have maybe learned a little bit more about me and I guess my background with diving and living in Indonesia and a little bit more about, I guess, the podcast and the back end of things as well. Yeah, that wraps up the episode and I will see you again next week with a guest. I promise. (laughs) All right, guys. Doi. If you enjoyed today's episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave me a five-star review. Even better, if you know someone who might benefit from listening to it, please tell them all about it. You'll find more information from today's episode in the show notes. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on High Tide, Low Tide, please email me at lisa, spelled L-E-E-S-A, at hightidelowtideau.com or DM me on Instagram at high tide, low tide AU. See you next time.